Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Guys, I'm really fired up for today's discussion with 2015 presenter and the University of Missouri's Dr. Brian Mann. Guys, I get to sit down and talk with Doc, and he's pretty fired up, and we're going to talk about individualization. You know, I think that the first thing that we're going to hit on is really important, and that's actually looking at where your program needs to be focused, what group of athletes, what parts of your team, and what decisions you make affect those parts of your team. Understanding that, you know, you really do need to program for the middle 70%. It's something that, you know, a lot of us talk about, but I really think that many people start to sway towards that top 5% or your best players or your best lifters or whatever it may be. And then a lot of people get left behind as opposed to building to that middle 70%, backing down for the bottom 15, picking it up a little bit for the top 15. You know, and he, he really goes quite deep into that idea. Then he gets into this whole idea of being okay to punt. What does that mean? Well, it means kind of like The Rock says, sometimes you got to know your role and shut your mouth. So you need to understand that, you know, what we are is what we are. So you need to be able to refer out. Um, He gives an awesome example of how a good decision or something that you might think is right is going to get you in trouble possibly and what it could do to your kids. You know, and and this is something that really made me think a lot about what we're doing. So kudos to Doc for bringing this up. Then we start talking about, you know, the pendulum or as he refers to it as the ladder, you know, how... There's the ebbs and flows in training going from whether it be functional training, swinging to powerlifting, swinging back to Olympic weightlifting, then to plyometrics, to whatever it may be, and, and how that affects and influences a lot of the decisions that coaches make. And then we get to the age-old question, how strong is strong enough? Well, they've done a lot of work at Missouri about this, and, and you might be surprised when you hear the answer to that. Then we get into understanding, you know, talking about the understanding that Sometimes simple is greater than complex when it comes to the individualization of the training. And that's really a great, great thought that a lot of us, we we do. I think we make things overly difficult when really a simple answer is probably the best one. He then talks about how autonomy with the training can be very effective. And that's something that we've, so far, knock wood, have had really good success with here allowing the athletes to have more input. Now, obviously, there are some that have more input than others. There are some that you trust to a greater degree than others, but it is something that we've had good success with, and so I was really happy to hear Doc talk about that. And then the last thing, even though all of this is is absolutely mind-blowing, the last part is really important, and that's understanding that people are there and they want to help. And being able to figure out how to utilize these resources, whether it be in academia, whether it be in clinics or other use, uh, resources throughout your town, city, university, whatever it may be, you know, really big-time key points that a lot of us have trouble with. So kudos to Doc. This is an absolutely killer talk. I hope you guys enjoy it and take as much from it as I did because I'm still, I'm still spinning from it. I loved it. Let's get right to it. Doc, thanks for being on, buddy. We've uh, been talking about some stuff, some things that you're excited about, some things that got you fired up. So let's get rolling yeah. here, brother. Man, well, I appreciate it you having me on, Jay. You know, there, there's been some stuff lately that just makes my skin crawl. You know, there are people who are out here talking right now about the individualization of their programs, right? Let's, and you know, they, things do need to be individualized to a certain extent. I mean, you need to break things down by sport, maybe even by the, the type of athlete that goes into certain positions. I get that. 
But they're starting to talk about people in their first and second year in the profession are talking about individualizing things for their whole team. Now, let's let's think for a second. I know that we've got over 500 athletes here at the University of Missouri. We've got five guys that work with – we've got several people that work with just football. We've got a couple of people that work with just basketball, and that leaves about four or five people left over for about – 350, 400 athletes. So you're looking at 70 athletes a person. We're not going to individualize that. No. You know, uh, I think it's actually ludicrous. And people are spending a lot of time trying to make their own methods and, and crap like that. And, dude, they don't even, they haven't even read the books to know that the method that they think they just invented has been around since, like, 1800s. And people, you know, there's a, a guy locally who talks about this exercise piece of equipment that he developed. I'm like, dude, that's a Nordic hamstring curl. That, you know when they started doing that in the 1820s? And they probably started doing it even before then. This is freaking stupid. This ain't new. Let's read a book. But let's talk about, you know, uh, with this individualization thing, too. I would say that ninth, there was a CEO named Jack Welch. He was a CEO of GE. And he had a book on leadership. And he was talking about how some people make the mistake, some CEOs, and a lot of CEOs rather, they make the mistake of trying to invest all of their time in developing their top five, top 10%, their superstars, thinking that that's what's going to give them the you know ordeal. That's going to give them the money. He says that's the biggest fallacy that exists. That's why companies go under. You need to make sure that you've got your middle 70% right and just get rid of your bottom 20% and leave your stars do their thing, develop your middle 70%, and rock and roll with it because most of your stuff is going to come from your middle 70%. Well, you know, if you look at a, a basketball team, usually you've got like one superstar out there, you know, and then you've got 40, uh, four other guys that are on the court that are, are pretty good and they're supporting roles and they do well on their own. And then you've got the one stud. All right. Well, unless you're like, what, Kentucky, who's got everybody's a, a three time McDonald's all American, but, uh, You've got to make sure that your programming isn't set up for just that one person, that one super stud and what he needs to develop. It needs to be set up for what your whole team can bring up and what your whole team can lift up. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just crazy to me about the amounts of individualization that people are trying to, to put in. Uh, and let's even let's get on to another topic, too, because this is driving me up a freaking wall. Uh, Everybody right now thinks they're a physical therapist. Everybody. Well, you know what? Those books behind me, this is my office. You know where I teach? In a department of physical therapy. So I've got an interesting background, and I'm strength and conditioning, and I'm in this. Okay, I'm in this, and I'm learning, and I'm seeing things. A lot of what people look at and what a lot of people try and do is just flat wrong. Okay, so let's take an example that something that, I saw the other day, and I nearly blew a gasket on. I'm not going to say what I said to the person because, you know, it, yeah, I'm supposed <laughs> to be a dignified doctor and everything. But I might say it anyways. Go ahead. So the person's walking with their toe turned in. So what does the coach do? They're like, oh, your toe's turned in. That must mean that you've got weak uh, external rotator, so you can't maintain position of your toe whenever you walk. So we need to be hammering those. I look at them. I'm watching the kid. 
And I'm actually looking at a couple other things. I'm looking at his patella position, his tibial tuberosity position, and kind of looking for that midline of the femur and what, what's going on with it. That isn't what the kid had at all, right? But whenever he looks at it, he sees the toe, he thinks, okay, that's what it is. This is what we need to go work on. So he goes over there and he does the, we're starts working on the deep six external rotators, the glute medius, you know. If it were the, actually the issue, it would be completely appropriate, okay? But I am 90% certain that it was tibial torsion that was causing the toe to turn in. So his hip is in completely proper position. His knee is completely in the proper position. You go down a little bit and the tibia is just turned in. It's just rotated. But this person is trying to do all these external rotation exercises. So what do they actually do? If they can make that person, this is the other thing they were trying to work on them with, was walking with their toe straight ahead. person says, your toe doesn't go like that. Or my toe doesn't go like that. My foot don't do that. And they're like, no, it needs to. It, it absolutely has to. Well, whenever you make the foot go like that, what happens? You go with a genu uh, varus at the knee. So you're getting a lot of uneven wearing. You're probably going into, you're going into some major external rotation that you might end up getting some cam lesions on the femur, on the femoral neck. You are definitely causing uneven wear on the tibial plateau that you are putting the person at a great risk for a meniscal tear uh, immediately at, at best, at worst, you're putting them at that risk for a, probably an MCL or PCL tear. Uh, and you're definitely, if they, you cause that long-term change, you're causing osteoarthritis, which is going to lead to a joint replacement down the line, all because you saw that the toe went turned in, and you saw somebody say in an article that that means that they've got a weak external rotator and possibly glute meat. This is fucking stupid. You know what, physical, ah, oh, dang it, I just dropped enough. Oh, well. Wow, it's fine. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's that are going to hear it. You know what? Here's the deal. Uh, you know what? Let's, let's even keep going further, right? Because here's something I've seen pop up is back pain. A lot of people have back pain, and a lot of people have read a lot of stuff on back pain, and they do a lot of great things for it. But they don't know when some of the signs aren't really the signs. You know what else also refers as back pain? Uh -huh. Colorectal cancer. Ovarian cancer. Okay? So if people start trying to treat this back pain, like they're a physical therapist and do all the Dr. McGill stuff, which I think is fantastic. Dr. McGill is an absolute genius, and if his stuff is applied properly for the appropriate population, for the people with the, you know, that they have got these symptoms, right. cleared up. It's fantastic. Uh, amazing. Brilliant person. But what happens whenever they don't get better? Do these people realize when to refer out, you know, that, hey, you know what? I've been doing this for a week and a half, and I should have seen these improvements, and I didn't. Why don't we go see your doctor? Call up the doc, and then they tell them what to, you know, ask them to run a certain blood test, and then bam, finds out that, you know, this happened to, to a uh, colleague of mine, uh, physical therapist-wise, that, you know, they were like, this person's presenting with, with uh, low back pain, this is what we're doing, doesn't get better. Hey, you know what, I know that this is a possibility. Let's see a doc, and it was colorectal cancer. So it doesn't matter what you do from a physical therapy standpoint. Yeah, you can make the person's back feel a little bit better, but if you don't catch the cancer, it's going to kill them. And every day that you wait, you're letting it progress further and further. Uh, you know, I think that we all have our professions for a reason. 
Okay, I am great with improving speed, with improving power, with improving agility. I'm not a biomechanist. I'm not a kinesiologist. I'm not a physical therapist. I'm not an athletic trainer. I'm not an MD. I'm not a DO. I'm not a DC. I'm none of that. I can make them stronger. I can make them faster. I can work with these other professions. I think what we have to realize is that it's okay to punt. Now, some people think that not knowing something is weakness. I have to completely disagree on that. I think that if you know what you don't know, that's empowerment, and the athlete actually respects you more for it. Uh, just the other day, I had an athlete that uh, was experiencing low back pain. And it's the area that it presented at, L5-S1, it could have been a few different things. Okay, It could have, one, been the disc, L5-S1. It could have been a spinal erector. It could have been, uh, you know, some of the, the bursas that are in that area, uh, not bursa. It could have been the uh, the uh, the ligaments that exist, the the sacrotuberous ligament. It could have been, you know, multitude of things. And he was asking, hey, coach, why don't can I go get up there and uh, get on that uh, inversion table that was broken anyway, so he couldn't have gotten on it even if he wanted. I'm like, look, dude, let's go find out what it is first. If it's one thing, that is completely appropriate for it, and that could help. But if it's some other things, you could actually increase the damage. So let's find out what's going on first, and then we'll attack it with a proper modality. Well, the athlete completely respected that, and he said, you know, Coach, I appreciate your honesty. And that our relationship seemed to have strengthened from that, from the honesty that's there. Now, that's not saying that uh, you need to... Anytime anything's going on, you need to be like, no, you're, you're, you're seeing the athletic trainer. Well, no, I mean, if it's, I got a hangnail, suck it up, sweetheart. Let's go. Yeah. But, you know, if there's something that you, uh, if it's out of your wheelhouse, don't try and diagnose it. You know, there, there are some strength coaches that are MDs, PTs, ATCs. Uh, I know Charlie Weingroff is PT and uh, I believe he's ATC as well. And he is brilliant with what he does. He does a great job of bridging the gap. Am I ever going to do that? Well, no, I'm not. What am I going to do? I'm going to rely on the other professionals who have had thousands upon thousands of hours. So not only the hours that they had in their degree program, but the thousands of hours that they have probably had in continuing education, plus the hands-on treatment that they've been doing. These people know exactly what presents. They would have known that was tibial torsion within 30 seconds, and they would have treated it appropriately. You know, they would have known if it was if it was actually the external rotator. Within a couple of sessions, they knew that that low back pain was cancer. We don't. We don't have that training. So why in the hell do I think that I, because I read one article on the Internet, I'm going to be able to go out there and save everybody's hip? You know, I don't have that training. Yeah, you could. You could save some people's hips. You could also mess them up. And you can mess up their knee. You can mess up their ankle. You need to know. You know, I always say that, I always say, my thought on this is, if you're right, you got lucky. And let me tell you, Jay, there's been a couple NSCA conferences out in Vegas and some APTA and some ACSM. I found out I'm not lucky. Okay, I would rather be right. My wife was pissed at the money I lost the first time I was out in Vegas. So I'm not going to repeat that. Uh so I would always rather be right than lucky. So what, how, am I, how do I know that I'm going to be right? 
I'm going to refer out to the appropriate professional. Whenever I've got things that I don't know and I don't understand, like I've got another shot putter who had a issue with her uh, ring finger. I don't know what's going on. You know, I thought it could be a lumbrical issue. You know, the lumbricals are actually what flex the fingers. At uh, It attaches down here in the hand. It comes up, attaches right there at that uh, uh, proximal interphalange. It's going to flex your fingers like that. Well, I knew that that could be an issue. But was it an issue? Yeah, it was. But it also went all the way up the chain, all the way back up into the scapula. So, you know, I can spend all day and I could make that little finger stronger, but I didn't fix the problem. What did the physical therapist do? They went through with their training and they fixed the problem. Now she doesn't have shoulder pain, she doesn't have bicep pain, she doesn't have finger pain. Within a few weeks. I could be hammering on this until the Olympics and still nothing changed and she might not even be able to compete. I got out of my wheelhouse, I punted. Mm -hmm. It's okay to punt. Other professions exist for a reason because it takes, you know, golly. Buddy Morris said that information in this country doubles every 18 months in strength and conditioning only. There are thousands upon thousands of articles to read, journal articles, stuff that comes out of uh, from from good, great sources, textbooks, etc. You know, Yosef, every time I see Yosef, I end up getting four or five new books, you know, that, uh, and I see Yosef. Now I've been seeing them like twice a year. <laughs> like I've I've got a lot of freaking books now that I've <laughs> somewhere over there that I'm I'm not even going to show you yet. That that's my to do list. That's my to to read list. Mm -hmm. uh, and then shit right here. Uh, sorry, can't see. That's my hand. There's my stack of journal articles that I'm working on right now too. The information is just expanding far rapidly than what we can do within our own field. Yes. Now, how in the hell are we going to be able to do four other fields too? Let's do what we're good at and let's know when to refer out. It is not weakness. It is a strength to know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is, is whenever people think that they've read one article that they know everything. You know, I call, I look at things, uh, I called it, and I've worked on this article for years because I'm trying to get it to the where it doesn't sound preachy. And maybe I'd just say, F it and throw it out there anyways. But I call it the ladder and the pendulum. Okay, the pendulum is the things that we see all the time. Okay, it's the different trends. We start, whenever I first got into this field, it was huge into Olympic. Then it went into powerlifting. Then it's gone into functional training. Now it's starting to come back into strength. Uh, Plyometrics will come back in next, I think. You know, autoregulation is throwing in there. Uh, you know, and autoregulation a lot of times is being thrown in too soon, and I'm probably one of the prime factors why that's happening. People are doing velocity-based training with high school kids that have never lifted a weight before in their life and are weaker than a kitten, but by God, they can move that barbell at 0.8 meters per second. <laughs> not seeing any result because you're not moving enough load. Get strong first. Uh, but, yeah, that's neither here nor there. But that pendulum. Right? It's swinging all around. Now, I'm not saying that any of this stuff is bad. You've got to know. You've got to take down. You've got to. Don't just hop on the train. Learn what is the science behind it. You remember power factor training in like the mid to late 90s? Yeah. Whenever you overloaded a range of motion and you went through it, okay? What was that doing? Well, it was causing, it was Heinemann's size principle causing maximal motor recruitment, okay? 
where does that fall in line with some other things that you've heard of? Well, the max effort method and the changing up of the exercises. So power factor training did have something good to it. Uh, dinosaur training, the lifting of the odd lift, the uh, implements, the odd implements and the different things. What is that doing? Well, that's working on proprioception and getting overload into uh, weird joint angles that are not normally expressed with a traditional strength training motion, but very well may be expressed in the field of play. Let's look at the, uh, the functional movement stuff. Uh, the Single leg training, unilateral stuff. Are you unilateral in sport? Absolutely. Can you produce as much force unilaterally as you can bilaterally? No. Uh, is it important to have balance between the two? Yeah. Is it important to be able to know that you can balance on individual legs? Yeah, and if you can't, there's things that need to be worked on, and I usually punt to a physical therapist on that if I can't figure it out within the first 10 minutes. Let's see, with Olympic weightlifting, there's stuff that we can get from that. Obviously, it's speed strength. They are looking at total uh, body exercises with very complex movement patterns. They've got to have a high level of force input, so they have to have a high contraction speed and then a high rate of relaxation to be able to drop underneath the bar. That's great. Anything wrong with that? No, it's very complex. Uh, powerlifting. Is there anything wrong with it? Hell no, there ain't nothing wrong with powerlifting. I wrote the. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with strength? No, there's not. Now, here's one of the things that I think we need to come to while I'm on this is a long-term athletic development model that whenever we realize that strength has got a limit in how much that it will apply to, uh, and, and you've talked about this, and I think you might have talked about this with Matt and uh, uh, Jeff, that there's a limit to how much absolute strength is going to help. I, I'm thinking that it's just around somewhere around two two and a quarter times body weight on squat. And I'm thinking that's kind of about the limit of what I see with our data. I can't speak for anybody else's, but for our data with how that strength influences power. And by power, all I do is I take the, uh, I don't have force plates yet. You know, I'm not cow deep, so I don't have that kind of money rolling around. <laughs> uh, but I'm working on getting some Pasco force plates and hopefully we'll be able to start looking at stuff beyond that. But uh, all I do is I use the Sears equation to convert their vertical jump to power. That's it. We look at how that changes because body weight is going to affect vertical jump. If you don't think so, why don't you go put on a 40-pound weight vest and see if you can jump any higher or if you jump lower. Yeah, it, you're going to jump lower. Some people don't get that. I mean, it, yeah. But, you know, that, that's a deeper than the data thing. That's a whole other talk. Uh, yeah, that maybe, you know, set that up. Maybe I'll do that out in Richmond sometime. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that's what... Uh, Whenever they get to about two, two and a half times body weight on squat, whenever it goes up that high, power quits going up. It's really two and a quarter is the most that I really ever see. Uh, so what is that? A 300-pound lineman, they squat about 600? Yeah. Their strength, they're strong enough. Maybe six, 650, 660, you know, no more than 700 is going to transfer. And then when we talk about some big boys and some big weights, well, what is that receiver? Well, you got a 180-pound receiver, 360, 400. They're doing good. Okay, that's that's good enough. Let's start working on some of the other things. Let's start working on strength, speed, and speed strength. Now, I've got data. I don't know if I presented this data with you or not. I'll be completely honest. Because I might not have had it pulled out yet. But I looked at our stuff over the past 15 years. So I've got data at the University of Missouri going back to 2000. I wasn't here in 2000, but I've got the data that goes back to 2000. 
whatever, everybody did the same program all four years. They saw a huge improvement in power from, uh, from year one to year two, and then it leveled off from two to three and three to four. And I ended it at four. Okay, I didn't look at the fifth year for anybody because it's not fair. Some people will get a fifth year. Some people won't get a fifth year. But either way, it leveled out. Now, whenever we started looking at with a level system and implementing velocity after they reached certain standards, we're seeing still power improvements going on through the third year. Now, the fourth year, it leveled off. Why? Well, I've got some thoughts, but I want to make sure that I'm right before I, I throw those out there because it might, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little bit out there. So I, I want to make sure that I've got data to back up what I say whenever I say anything that's out there. Uh, but, you know, that, that goes back to Dr. Ivy being very, very open to taking in information. And then we, whenever we got that information, we started implementing velocity as a factor. And our vertical jump started going up again. As we talked about then the last time with the cleans, with the Olympic lifts, we started doing that with the squats, so with the dynamic effort. And I started making that a, a contribution to go in there. So, uh, you know, that that's one of the things that I, I, I've really been into. We got... It's a Wednesday. It's the first Wednesday of the month. I don't know if you can hear the tornado sirens going off. I had to think for a second. I'm like, shit, do I need to end this and run down? Because <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of stormy outside. But yeah, hopefully that doesn't distract <coughs> you. It got me. But uh, that'd be weird in December. Yeah, yeah. Stranger things have happened. It got it was pretty warm and it just cooled off. So that's the other thing. It's like, hey, wait a second. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's. Uh, you know, you know when what's going to cause the improvements. Uh, you, you've got to got to know that, and you've got to make sure that we're getting back to that that middle seventy percent. Get them strong first, okay? Get them strong, and then you work on explosiveness. Does it matter how you get them strong? Bottom line, no. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, I've seen a lot of success. Yeah, you, know, you got me out of the one by twenty, okay? And I've done the one by twenty with a one female thrower that uh, she had no lifting experience coming in and her throws went through the roof and the coach said, dude, I don't know what you've been doing with her, but keep it up. You know, that she's, people are talking about her being a freshman breaking the uh, school hammer throw record here within the next year or two. Yeah, freshman. She's never lifted before. She threw the hammer in the UK, but she never lifted. So she still looks like a baby deer. Yeah, dude, I know. Their system's a little bit different. You don't say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You would think that a hammer thrower over there would be lifting weights all the time, but they basically get to do whatever they want to do. So this is, you know, it's a, it's a I, yeah, I don't know. For her club, they got to do what they want to do. Can I speak for the entire UK for their high school system? No, I can't. But I can tell you at that track club where she was at that she didn't want to lift, I guess, so she didn't have to lift. Can you use the APRE? Can you use 531? Can you use linear periodization? Can you use whatever that increases absolute strength? Yeah, you can. Do I think that there's some things that are better than others? I do. And are there some things that are better than others in certain parts of their career? I do. You know, I think that uh, I have caught some athletes by throwing too much volume at them too soon. Uh, and that's the thing that I'm loving about this one by 20 right now is that we kind of we're slow cooking her and she just keeps seeing results. We did the one by 20, dude, I feel bad for even saying this, but we did it for nine weeks because now our throw started to level off. So we're going down to one, one by 14 now. I don't know how long you usually stay in it, but uh, it, probably not nine weeks. But I thought if I'm going to slow cook her, I'm going to slow cook her. She's going to redshirt anyway, so let's just, uh, let's just make sure that we keep pushing the needle. 
Now, some people will talk about that the one by twenty isn't right. It should be the maximum recoverable. Uh, God, what is it? Max recoverable volume or something like that. That I just heard. And uh, you know, they've got they make some interesting points and they make some they some great conceptual things. But at the same time, am I really going to be able to do that for thirty different athletes at one time? And am I going to be able to do that and account for the other stressors that they have going on in their life? As we well know, mm-hmm. academic stress plays a huge role in things. So what's their max recoverable volume during a test week, during a non-test week, during a week when there's a project, or during a week whenever there's classes? Dude, you know what I'm going to do? I want to keep it super simple because I'm a redneck from backwoods, Oklahoma. Let's go with just something that's going to keep the needle moving and let's keep going. Would I maybe see better results with the other? I'm not going to say that I might not. But I'm all, what I am going to say is that I'm busy. Everybody who's in this field is busy. We've got a lot of crap going on, and that's the last thing that I need to do is start worrying about individual volumes. I'm going to try and just keep the needle moving for everybody. If I notice somebody is blowing up, what am I going to do? I'm going to back them off. Could I do things in a more scientific manner? Yeah, I'm sure I could. But why if I don't need to? You know, let's go ahead let's hit them with the questionnaires. Let's just back off when we need to back off, and let's keep them going when we can keep them going. You know, and if they're weak, you don't even need to deload. I'll just say, go come out and say that right now. If you're not moving a heavy enough load to, you know, to cause you to grunt a little bit, you don't need to deload. You know, weak people don't need to deload. That's uh, that's my thing. And weak being a relative term, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, 135 pound squat for 135 pound female athlete is not necessarily weak. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what I'm trying to get at. Thank you. You were thinking of better numbers than me. I, I need more caffeine, I guess. It was, you know, that newborn is, uh, she didn't sleep too well last night. So I'm uh, uh, drinking coffee instead of the water. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, looking at that academic stress time with the one by 20 and all that. Now, um, our freshman swimmers just dropped to 14 this week. And we do that with them because this is the week before finals. Right. So I think they went 11 or 12 weeks, however long the semester's been. Um, but we, you know, it's with them, it's always like bump it up, feel it out. When you get to 18, let's see. You know, if you can get to 18 the first time, great. Like this next week, it'll be, well, so tomorrow morning, it'll be how'd the 14 feel the other day? <clears throat> Did you get 14? What do you think? And it's like, they need to start in, in a generation where they always want to have input, whether they should or they shouldn't, and whether what they say matters or doesn't. This is a situation where they need to be kind of allowed to dictate that a little bit because, you know, like, like the story Cal said, like, I got guys on the team right now who they couldn't care less that we have finals next week. They, yeah. could, they could not care less. Like, oh, I have a test. Don't care. We have a game Saturday. Do care. Like, <laughs> but then there's some other kids that it's like, whether it be because of shortcomings earlier or later in the semester or whatever it may be, or they actually just really care about school. Imagine that. They're like tweaking out beyond belief right now because they have finals next week. Right. So you got to kind of allow them also to dictate that as well. Um, cause just cause it says one by 20 or one by 14 or one by eight or eight and 20 or whatever it says, 
it doesn't mean they can't just do 16. Or it doesn't mean that if they want to blow some steam off, they can't do 25. You know, like, you got to... Da Vinci was an artist. He was also a scientist. You know, like, uh, play with it a little bit. Have fun with it. Um, I think you're bringing up an interesting point, and it's one of the things behind the APRE uh, that... uh, I've got some data that I didn't put into that previous paper from 2010, and you know it was my dissertation. So that that 2010 study was my pilot. It was whenever we just, okay, let's take 10 guys from these two groups randomly and let's plug it in and let's see what happens. Well, I've got the data from everybody, so I wanted to come out with some more stuff. And a lot of people question why the APRE works so much better with a faulty periodization. And shit, maybe it could have been. Maybe maybe we suck at periodization schemes. But here's what, one of the things I think that the APRE and why I like the 1 by 20 and what I've seen from, from my thrower is the autonomy that goes into it. Their destiny is in their own hands, and they know that. And their progress depends on how much work that they put into it. And the, on the APRE and the 1 by 20, these kids have bought into it. They know that the harder I go today, the faster I go up, the, uh, uh, even though we're slow cooking. But the faster I, uh, with the 1 by 20, but with the APRE, the harder I go, the faster I go up, the stronger I get, the better I get. How strong I get is up to me. And they eat that up. Whenever you give them some of the power, and now I'm not uh, some of the power. When you give them the power to choose, magic happens. Now, does that happen in every environment? I can't say that. But for us, it did. Um, In the environment that we've created, that Coach Ivy has created, that uh, giving them the autonomy, they flourish. Now, some people might be like, in some programs uh, that are, are ran differently, it's true. You might have athletes to be like, oh, I've got the ability to go up. Well, screw this. I'm going down 30 pounds a day. We didn't have that. You know, for maybe it was the people that Gary Pinkle brought in for all those years. Maybe it was the environment Pat Ivy created. Maybe it had something to do with being here in the Midwest. I have no idea. But for whatever reason, that autonomy seemed to have a major impact on the program rather than just the sets and reps that were being prescribed. Mm-hmm. So, and that's one way that, and that's why I like the APRE and its ability to get strong. Now, do I think you need to, does it have a limit? Yeah. Like we just talked about that double body weight squat thing. I think that's about the limit. Do I have papers on that? Yeah, I might have one or two somewhere, but I can't remember them enough to just spout it off. Well, and it's, it, it's funny, too, that it's something that, you know, some of the greats joke about when they talk about Americans is that all Americans want to hear are sets and reps, sets and reps. And it's like, is that really what's all that important? Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that we're kind of to a point now where we need to get past all of these minutiae type things and actually start talking truly about methods right if we're still arguing about exercises in 2015 i don't know what to tell you um like what are the methods what are you trying to accomplish and what are the best ways to do it and then let's start talking about means and and sets and reps you know like I, i think that that's kind of one of the the misnomers when it comes to programming that, you know, three by six or three by eight, it's six reps, man. I don't think it's really that big of a difference. 
yeah. the end of the day when you're dealing with an 18 to 22 year old kid. Yeah. Like you're never going to see me debating on if uh, six or eight reps is better because gold, gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit to go yeah. ahead no more? You know, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's like you said, it's minutia. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to be talking with the different professors on campus who've got their different areas to be able to be like, hey, what do I need to do? This is what's going on, what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to be in, not even just the different professors on this campus, but, you know, smart people worldwide. I'm going to be, you know, I, I'm, I, people get mad whenever I say this, and I kind of want to explain it for a second, but, uh, you know, you know the, I've taken Cal, I've ripped Cal off. Straight up, the dumbest guy in the room thing. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I know I'm not the dumbest guy in the room. I'll, I'll just be like, you know, I'm not. I'm not that freaking dumb. I might be in the lower third, but I'm not the dumbest guy. In the room. <laughs> but what it does is it frees you up to not worry about looking stupid or asking a stupid question. Uh, you know, we were just in Indianapolis. We had Mike Robertson's thing. I, I spoke at it, and Bushexner came in and spoke. And I'm asking questions that. Uh, I wouldn't have asked 10 years ago because I would have been afraid of looking like I'm stupid. But if I approach that I'm the dumbest guy in the room and I just want to know, I asked some questions that it turned out a lot of people were wanting to know, but they were scared to ask. Well, I don't give a shit. I'm the dumbest guy in the room. I know I'm stupid. I don't have to worry about it. And um, it's just freed me up to be able to learn so much more. So then that's, uh, you know, led me to be able to reach out to some different people. You know, uh, Reaching out whenever I was a strength and conditioning coach, just a strength, just a strength and conditioning coach. Whenever strength and conditioning was my primary responsibility here at the University of Missouri, I realized that there was a, a lot of stuff that we could tap into. I'm not a statistician. We've got statisticians on campus. I know jack squat about heart rate uh, variability, but guess what? We had Paul had Paul Fidel on campus. He's now gone to SMU. Who? What has he uh, researched? Heart rate variability and its impacts in, uh, and what it shows in, in cardiac patients and healthy people, uh, etc. So whenever we got the Omega Wave, well, who do I call? Paul Fidel. Come over here. And he brought his, uh, his grad student over. Uh, you know, whenever we were looking at stuff dealing with neurons, well, we've got people that study nothing but neurons. Don uh, Cornelison. Right, and she studied uh, the effects of different things in, uh, in within the neuron. Uh, we had Grace Soon, who, if you wanted to know about myelination, she is the she got a multi-million dollar grant studying the effects of green tea on the oligodendrocyte function uh, in motor uh, motor neurons. So motor neurons are important to athletes, right? Myelination improves the signal, so you know we're going to talk to Grace Soon. You know, we're going to talk to, you know, I've got a bioengineer, two-door, well, who's down the downstairs from me right now. Whenever I'm looking at stuff for uh, trying to figure out what was going on with some vertical versus standing long jump and why some were good and some were bad and things like that, I'm going to him. And we used his uh, gate lab with uh, a Vicon system and uh, multiple force plates and EMG to find out what was going on. You know, we've got all these different people that we can rely upon. And this exists, and you know what? Even beyond that, Truman State University is an hour and a half north of us. Okay, Jerry Mayhew, and if anybody is into sport training and uh, strength training for sport, and they read the art journal articles, I guarantee you, you have read Jerry Mayhew. 
if you've read me, you have read Jerry Mayhew. Uh, there were things that I wasn't understanding back in 2004 and 2005. What do I do? I, I picked up the phone and I called them. I expected no response, so I emailed them as well. And I'll be damned if now, 11 years later, we still are in contact and are great friends and, and doing a lot of work. And he comes down here all the time. I'll go up there whenever I can. Yeah, we're helping each other out on projects. And all it came down to was, uh, was a cup of coffee you know, for some things. You know how I actually... I got into academia. There was a professor here named John Tifo who since went on. Uh, this guy, I tell you what, he studies uh, fatty liver disease, obesity, and that type of stuff. Fatty liver is in mitochondria is one of his big areas. Watch out for him if you know anything about the ACSM. This guy's going to be bigger than the Beatles. I tell you what, uh, he was teaching a sports performance and conditioning class. I emailed. Like, hey, Dr. Tifo, I understand you're teaching this class. Uh, I'd like to just come talk to you or have you come talk to, to our meeting, uh, to, uh, to our staff in our meeting, you know, and, and just let's get some conversation going. The guy ended up being one of my biggest mentors. He's the reason why I got to uh, start teaching the sports performance and conditioning class here at the University of Missouri, which built up my CV, led me to know people like uh, Dr. Frank Booth, who... We talked about uh, uh, neurons earlier. I don't know if you're familiar with satellite cells, mm -hmm. but he studies satellite cells in humans and how the satellite cell be can, can become a nucleus to a damaged muscle fiber and how ways to support that. Uh, you know, it was just, if I wouldn't have picked him up and bought him lunch, I was a GA. Ten bucks was a huge amount for me to pay, but I'll tell you what, it's paid dividends. That just from simply taking him to lunch, buying Frank Booth coffee, you know, going out and not being afraid to talk to somebody. And whenever I say talk to somebody, I mean listen. You know, don't try and show them how smart you are. Because let me tell you, if you're talking about their field, that, you know, Frank Booth has got, golly, it's, he's probably got 500 papers that he's published on certain topics. Do I want to show him how smart I am? No, I want to find out how smart he is and get his information. So I want to go ahead and I just want to try and tap into that. And what can that do for you? Well, it can do multitude of things. Maybe it can buy you stability. Maybe it can buy you stability within your, your university. Maybe it'll lead to you teaching a, a class here and there, which not only provides stability, but hell, that's going to be a little extra money in your pocket. And that's not a bad thing. Maybe it is going to lead to you finding out more information about your program. Maybe it's going to lead to you being a better professional. Maybe it's going to lead to somebody volunteering on your staff that's happened before i know for dr ivy whenever he was university of tulsa you know the worst thing in the world that can happen is that you wasted 10 bucks maybe they're a jackass and you don't ever want to talk to them again well now you don't have to wonder but at every university you've got things like that you know i i've uh, a lot of times whenever i go speak somewhere i am going to look up the local universities and see who's there and see if anybody's done anything with sport. And I'm going to try and talk to them. You know, I want to build, why is it a bad thing to build your network? Yeah. You not want to talk to a professor. Let's, you spend thousands of hours in the weight room trying to figure out performance. Well, if I want to know one specific thing, why don't I talk to the person who spent thousands of thousands of hours researching and understanding that one topic. Uh, and also talking with those people, uh, you know, Mike Ezratel was talking about reading textbooks so it improves your bullshit detector. Well, talking to those people is going to improve your bullshit detector. You know, if 
they'll tell you some things like if this person ever tells you why, then run like hell. Well, why? That's the wrong thing. It tells you X. Yeah, because why sounds like they are asking you to tell you why something happened. That's not what I was meaning. But if they tell you that it, everything has got to be this one certain thing over here, run like hell because it's not. Well, that's taught me to not listen to certain people who were just, whenever you get down to it, they're full of crap. Uh, you know, so I learned not to listen to those people. Uh, but, you know, bridging those gaps is, it has made me a better coach. You know, I'm a professor now, too, but it has made me a better coach because of what I've learned. Mm-hmm. And not only from what I've learned, but the stability that it's provided me. You know, I, if you're not reaching out to the people, on, well, here's another thing, too, and I know that you've done this, is reaching out to people, they don't have to know dick about sport, to be completely honest. And sometimes it's better if they don't, especially the people who know stats. Oh, yeah. Because those people, they will tell you what the answer is, not what you are wanting to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to that thing with the uh, Olympic lifts and the vertical jump. I wanted to hear and I wanted to expect to see that our Olympic lifts go up, our vertical jump goes up. It didn't. And he didn't care. He was like, oh, no, this is what it is right here. Plain as day. You know, those people are fantastic. Uh, and it goes back to, like, the... Uh, Lady who helped me with the stats for that academic uh, stress and illness and injuries. She doesn't know anything about athletics. Anything. What does she know? Statistics. And she is how we found out about that. It was because we took a too simplistic approach, right? All we found was that A, which is that one chart. I really, I thought we had submitted the chart for that section B, a graph showing that it was more apt to injure a person during a test week than it was during training camp, because that would, you know, melt people's faces off. But I'm going to present on that more at the uh, NSCA in San Antonio if this goes out before then, and hopefully people see it, that we're going to talk about it intensely. But she thought, well, okay, if we're looking at this interaction over here, and I've got this other data that I can filter through, let's look at this because it could have an impact. Just because it was coded. So she thought, let's do it. And what pops up? A holy shit type moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's, God, I got to get involved with people on campus because how do you know what works? It, it drives me nuts whenever I go to a conference or I'm talking to somebody and says, hey, I do this because it works. Well, how do you know it worked? Did it work just for that one time? Was it just cross-sectionally or was it longitudinally? Does it work year after year after year? Do we know that strength causes improvements in vertical jump? Yes, we do. We know from six and eight week studies, but what happens over multiple multitude of years? Like they just had spoken about, after that second year, bam, our vertical jumps leveled off. What needs to change at that point? Got some ideas? Don't know for sure. Do I know people who do know? Yeah, you know what? I bet Dr. Anatoly Bondarchuk knows from his, God, what, 40, 50, 60 years worth of data that he's got now on that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Yeses has looked at things like that, so I'm going to talk to those sorts of people. You know, I know that they know things much better than I do, and I just got to pray to God that they will talk to me for a cup of coffee. You know, that's, uh, that's just the way that it goes. You, know, you got to reach out, and you got to get with those people. It might take a stake to get to Doc, I'll be honest. Hey, you know what? That's okay. As long as it's not Ruth Chris, brother. I can go down <laughs> but Ruth Chris, that's out of my... my uh, my wheelhouse. No, totally, man. They wouldn't even let me in the door there. Yeah. But then we need to plug something, too, before we get this. Speaking of uh, San Antonio. Yeah. You know, so uh, 
we on Saturday morning, uh, we have got the College Strength and Conditioning uh, SIG. I'm the chair of it. Now, at it, I have got two huge things that are secrets that you've got to come to find out about. I've got one major announcement of something that we're going to start doing within the NSCA that I think will revolutionize the, the coaches' side of things. That uh, it is, I, I think it's going to be huge. Maybe I'm wrong, but by God, I am excited about it, and I'm talking to some other people that are excited about it too. And I've also got a special guest that whenever they're going to come into the room, uh, so we're going to break things down into basically half and half. We've got three open positions on the SIG, so if anybody is wanting to join the special interest group for the college strength conditioning coaches, please come to that. We're making changes, uh, so there's there's that. Okay. Then the other half of the meeting is going to be the special guest who I am excited about. I can't believe they said yes. I'm going to have to buy them probably a steak dinner and a cup of coffee, and I'm completely okay with that because I'm excited for them to come and get in touch with the college coaches. Uh, and the last thing to, to plug, that's not San Antonio, but uh, as chair of the special interest group, I noticed that the message boards Message boards, for the most part, at least with the NSCA, seem dead. Okay? It is hard to get to the message board. Where does everybody go? Facebook. Facebook. So we've got the NSCA College Strength Conditioning Coaches. It's a closed group on Facebook. So please, if you're interested and you're old, you know, I post stuff. I try and get discussion going. I post interesting articles. I post journal stuff. I post anything that I can. And a lot of other people are starting to post, too. Uh, and, which is fantastic. That's exactly what I want. Uh, it's an area that coaches, it's just another form that we can use, arena that we can use, platform we can use to communicate and to share ideas. You know, we've got you on there. We've got me. Bob Alejo came on the other day and just you know, blew the question out of the water, and everybody else was uh, afraid to answer after that, I think. <laughs> Hammer. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Todd Hammer's on there. Andrea Hootie's on there. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing in some of the top researchers in the world on there. I've got Matt Ray. I've got Brent Alvar. If I can ever get Andy Fry on Facebook, he will be on there. <laughs> I've got uh, Andrew Flatt, who's a Ph.D. student at Alabama, that all he studies is heart rate variability yep. in sport. So there's all these different – I'm trying to just create this environment that – I've got questions – Here's where I can go. Here's where I can go by people who give a shit, who really care, and they want to push this profession because that is my sole goal. I know that the impact that I – what I want to do with my life is leave a legacy, and I want my legacy to be that I pushed this field. I can be wrong. I will be wrong. I have been wrong. I'm going to be wrong. A lot of times, you can ask my wife, and she'll tell you how many times I've been wrong. But what I do want to know is that I pushed the field. That's what I want to do. That's the purpose of the SIG. Uh, and that's my purpose within trying to do things with the NSCA, is that I want to push the envelope. I want to push the field. Let's not let's get off of what's the better exercise. Let's talk about different methods. Let's talk about the principles, even Let's talk about the principles, because the methods fall in line with different principles. Right. You know, you can have three different methods that work to the same principle. It don't fucking matter, because it's the same principle. Right. The results go, or is their results. I want to get away from this looks cool, and I want to get, get to, kind of like what you have mentioned before, is, did it work? Show me the data. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it looks cool. 
I've seen a, you know what? My brother-in-law has got a badass 1972 Camaro that's sitting in his garage and it won't run. How cool is that? Yeah. I got a 56 BMW motorcycle. It's, it hasn't been started since 1976. It's kind of cool, but how cool is it to ride? It's not. doesn't run. So, you know, let's get to the stuff not that looks cool. Let's get to the stuff that's functional. No doubt. 150 works, baby. And it, uh, it, it works. It runs. It's not as cool and fancy and, and wow, whatever, as that BMW motorcycle. By God, it works. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get to that. Let's get to down to, as John Wayne would say, let's get down to the rat killer. Let's, let's quit this other bullshit. Yeah. Yo, shout out to Scott Caulfield, too, for all that. Oh, my God. Scott Caulfield is amazing. Yeah. Scott Caulfield has put on some fantastic conferences. This guy, I'll, I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm going to give Scott a big shout-out. I've told him personally I'm going to come out and, and say it. For a while, I had lost faith in the NSCA. No doubt. Uh, I had just left it, and I had left it up for dead. And I just said, screw it, I'm out. Uh, I've been going and, and doing you know my own thing and trying to do stuff, and then I happened to just randomly go to, uh, I can't remember where it was, uh, maybe in Nashville or something like that. I think it was 2012. And I was like, damn, this is a good conference now. What has happened? And then this guy named, uh, I went ahead and I just randomly applied for, uh, it was either 2011, 2012, whatever it was. I randomly applied for uh, a speaking you know, slot thing on the, on the website. And I got it. And, you know, just talking with Scott and the passion that he had to push the field forward, man, it just it, it invigorated me. So for some of the people that went into the that were in the NSCA and they thought, man, this is crap. I'm out. They're not doing anything. Come back. Yeah, Come man. back. Scott has done a great job on this for the coaches. Yes. He's going in the right direction. And you know what? The only way we can keep it going in the right direction is if we all get on board and we all paddle the same way. No doubt. There's 24 people. Uh, there's 70 people at the NSCA. There's like three people who work on the coaching side just for college strength and conditioning. There's Scott Caulfield or performance coaching. Scott Caulfield, Doug Berenger, and Aubrey Watts. That's three people. You think those three people are going to be able to get everything done? Hell no. They need, they need help. So I'm out there swinging my hammer. I'm trying to get things done. I know we got you on board. Hey, baby, let's go. Let's get this. You know, if we want a great organization, we got to make it great. It ain't going to happen. No doubt. Doc, I think that's a great spot to end it, buddy. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is awesome. People are going to love it. And we're going to get this up here in like a week, so we're sure that it's up before. The date for San Antonio is? Uh, it is. Let me pull it up on my phone just to make sure. I got it. I know whenever I've got to be there, I, but I don't want everybody getting there whenever I've got to be there because that's extra time. My wife is pissed, so I, I don't want anybody else's wife being pissed at me. I guess my wife's pissed at me a lot. I said that question. <laughs> so the date is January. Let's see. We've got 6th is Wednesday, 7th. Ah, it just hid. It just hid. Uh, okay, so Wednesday's the 6th. It goes Thursday, January 7th. Friday, January 8th, and Saturday, January 9th. Saturday, January 9th is when the uh, College SIG meeting is. And if you get in on the Facebook group, I have got it as a calendar invite on there that you can say that you're going to. And it should. It will either go in through your Facebook calendar or uh, if you got your Facebook calendar, it will throw it into your Outlook. Big time. So, yeah, it's let's go, baby. Yeah, big time, Doc. Appreciate it, brother. We'll catch up real soon. Thank you. All right, man. All right. Huge thanks to today's guest, 2015 presenter and University of Missouri's Dr. Brian Mann for taking the time out 
and to absolutely kill it today. I mean, just nuggets all over the place, awesome information, just the whole thing that, you know, two to two and a half times your body weight is enough. I mean, just think about that, you know. I mean, we now have a target. And, and that's something, now. and again, it's going to sway. There's going to be plus or minus this and that at different schools or different programs, whatever it may be. But there's still, there's a ballpark figure that we're looking at. So that's pretty awesome. So I, you know, and then on top of that, all of the other nuggets that he throws in there, the whole idea of, of punting and then looking at um, that individual idea or case study, whatever we want to call it, with the one kid where it's like, oh, well, it, there's this problem, so we have to train him this way. Well, you know, you could, but that's not going to fix the problem. So understanding that it's okay to punt, you know, it, it is really important. And, and then reach out, guys. Find people in the institution that are going to help you. You know, and... and I think that we do need to take a moment, and everybody kind of needs to give a little shout-out, respect, and I'll be one to do it, too, here to Scott Caulfield for all the help he's given to the profession. I mean, like Dr. Mann said, you know, there's a lot of people that did kind of give up on the NSCA, and because of the work that Scott's doing, it's really coming back, and, you know, Dr. Mann has a lot to do with that as well. So to those guys, kudos, keep up the good work. We appreciate you. We see you out there, so keep going. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, which I really hope you did because I thought this was absolutely killer, share it on the social media outlet of your choice. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts that you'd like to leave for Dr. Mann, if you'd like to open a little dialogue here, please let us know. Drop it below here. Drop it below on the Podomatic page. Drop it below on Facebook. Drop it below on the website. We, uh, we, we're looking for them, guys. We want to get these discussions going. And again, if you did enjoy it, tweet it, Facebook it, whatever. Uh, we, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening, and thank you very much for that. And we'll see you next week with another awesome guest.